Well, I was 21 years old, long, long time ago. I was working in the receiving department of the dining services of the college that I was going to. My job at that particular time was to drive a golf cart. And I would go between the different dining halls and the warehouse and deliver food. And sometimes I would deliver food to the little nursery daycare that was on campus where they took care of the kids of those who were teaching. Uh, I loved to drive that golf cart. I really did. This was a, a picture of what, kind of what the golf cart looked like. It's not really the, but it's what it was. You had the two seats up front and this storage thing on the back. These golf carts I drove were electric. They weren't gas-powered, and they had some sort of governor on it to make sure you only drove like three miles an hour. <laughs> but there was one golf cart that that governor had to have been tweaked or something because it got up to at least eight. And that's the one I love to drive. Sure, it wasn't fast, but it was faster than everyone else. And if you, if you put the, metal to the me- pedal to the metal, it could go compared to everything else. And if the wind was behind you, oh, that was gold. Well, one day, I was pulling away from the dock behind the dining hall, and... Uh, I had food in the back of the golf cart for the daycare on campus. Most of the food was back there, but right here was the best of the best. It was two pans of brownies in disposable pans, aluminum foil pans, two pans of brownies right there. And I'm, I'm running behind. So I... I, I pull away from the dock, I whip around to go down the road I'm supposed to, and as I whip the golf cart around, the wind comes up, not on the back, where it's supposed to, but on the side. And as I whip the golf cart around at that eight miles per hour, the wind hit just right, and those brownies started flying (laughs) over there. I said, no, this ain't going to happen. Because these kids, if they don't get their brownies, they're going to have a bad day the rest of the day. So I drop the wheel, and I go to grab the brownies, and all of a sudden I hear this thud, bang! I look up, and there is a pickup truck owned by this college. It's a maintenance pickup truck right there. My golf cart is slammed right into it. And I look at it, and there's this great big old dent in that pickup truck. In my mind, this is what it looked like. (laughs) This is actually more of what it looked like. But in my mind, this was it. I'm like, no! But then I look at my golf cart. My golf cart's pristine. There's not a scratch on it. I have no idea what's going on. Does not make sense. God somehow miraculously protected my golf cart, but not do the same to this pickup truck that's worth so much more than the golf cart. And I have a choice. I have a choice. I could go in and talk to my manager and tell him that I was being a hero and saving brownies. But unfortunately, but in the process of my heroicness, a pickup truck got mutilated. Kind of like how Marvel's Avengers saved the day all throughout New York City. The whole city gets destroyed, but hey, they're the heroes. I could confess what I did, or I could jump back in my golf cart and just keep going. My golf cart doesn't have a scratch on it. They don't have to know it was me. Then I look over there. And 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 I'm surrounded by these security cameras. (laughs) They're staring right at me. And I knew I couldn't drive away. So I go in, 
and I tell my manager what happened. I'm like beat red, looking down the ground, kind of kicking the dirt that shouldn't be on the ground, so the manager's probably going to tell me to sweep it up afterwards. And he tells me, go make your delivery. I'll figure out what's going on. So I go make my delivery. And then the next 10 minutes, I'm kicking myself. Why in the world did I do this? I'm going to be fired. I'm going to have to pay for this pickup truck. Uh, it's the, my whole future is gone because of two pounds of brownies. <laughs> I come back, and my manager says, come here. And he brings me into the cooler, which was his office, great big walk-in cooler. He doesn't have his own office. That's his, and whenever he brings you into the cooler, you're in trouble. <laughs> so he brings me to the cooler. He brings me off to the side, and he tells me, so, about that pickup truck. Got bad news for you. I'm like, oh. And he says, it already had the dent in it. <laughs> you could have led with that. <laughs> and then he looked at me, and he said, just in the future, remember, two pans of brownies are not worth more than safety. I'm like, yes, sir, I understand, I understand. I, I will never do that again. Yes, and I walk out. I learned a valuable lesson that day in several different ways. I learned a lesson about driving. Now, whenever I have pans of brownies sitting next to me, I don't care. They can do whatever they want to do. I'm going to stay on the road. Now, when I talk, that's a different thing. But I learned a valuable lesson about driving. I learned a lesson about priorities, about what is more important than other things, and I also learned a valuable lesson about confession, that it's always best to speak the truth, no matter how much we are worried and how it'll affect our lives today or in the future. Over the past several months, we have seen that we are all addicted to something and that we are powerless in our own strength to change that. We've talked about how we must believe that God is the one who has the power to restore us. And by faith, we must trust God with our life and will through the grace offered to us in Jesus Christ. We must make that decision, cross that line for ourselves. Finally, last week, we identified our sinful nature for which Christ died so that it can be laid to rest and we can live in freedom. We talked about how we have a new nature and the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us lead us and change us from the inside out. And we talked about the need for fearless moral inventory of ourselves, to stare in the mirror and say, yes, this is who I am. And that process of that moral inventory of staring ourselves in the mirror for all the pain and the brokenness and the ick, it brings up a whole bunch of emotions as we see ourselves for who we are. We say the sin damage in us. It brings those emotions up, but we can't just stop there in the mirror in those emotions. No. We have to make an honest admission to ourselves, to God, and to trusted friends of this is who I am. We must be people who confess because healing comes through confession. John writes this in 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. This is our text. He says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, God, Jesus Christ, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you today to study your word because we need to know your truth. We don't need to know what our heart tells us. We don't need to know what the world tells us. We need to know you because in you is truth. It's not found in anything else. Father, help us to see your truth and not disregard it. Help us to see your truth and embrace it even when it hurts, even when it's scary. And may we see the benefit of walking according to that truth. Lord, give us the strength today to study your word and to apply it to our lives. And Father, I pray that as I am up here, I would decrease and that you would increase. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. We are to be people who confess. But what is confession? What is confession? There's a whole bunch of different ideas and teachings about confession. I should move these before I hurt myself. Whole bunch of theories and ideas that people have said of the past 2,000 years about confession. Confession is the process of admitting or acknowledging our wrongdoing, our faults, our sins. It's that process, whether we admit it to God, whether we admit it to ourselves, whether we admit it to another person. Confession is that process of admitting our wrongdoing. Confession is speaking truth. Several weeks ago, we discussed how we have to believe who God is. We have to believe he is the one who is all-powerful. He is the one who has the power to restore us. All hope comes from him. We said we have to believe that truth. But the week after we discussed that, we talked about how believing some facts about God is not enough to actually save us. Because all the demons know these facts about God, but they're going to hell. Believing some facts about God does nothing spiritually for us. We have to make a decision for ourselves to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. We must do that. It must be a line in the sand moment where we step across it and say, I'm with him. I'm him. He is my only hope. Last week... We talked about how we have to make a searching and fearful moral inventory of ourselves to look in the mirror and say, yes, this is who I am. All of the pain, all of the mess, the sin, the ick, the addiction, this is me. But it's not enough just to make a list of a bunch of truths. It's not enough. We have to take another step upon that of confessing those truths. Confessing is not merely just to admit a truth. Confession is saying the same thing about the truth. It's saying, God says this about it, and I'm agreeing with him that this is what I've done, and this is how bad it is. There are other religious groups that have muddled this concept of confession, and they muddled the scope of confession. Some of these religious groups say things like this, Confession is a sacrament instituted by Jesus Christ in his love and mercy to offer sinners forgiveness for offenses against God and against your sisters and brothers. Confession brings reconciliation between God and the penitent, between the penitent and others, and to the individual penitent. They, in this teaching, put special meaning and spirituality into the act of confession, saying that we actually earn forgiveness from God through this process of confession. These religious groups say this. They say that Christ's love and mercy is not given to a person until they've completed the process of confession. And then to add insult to injury, these people say that sometimes confession itself is not enough, but you have to perform acts of penance in order to further earn God's forgiveness for what you have done. However, several weeks ago we discussed the fact that Christ's forgiveness is not earned. Christ's forgiveness is a gift. Confession does nothing to earn forgiveness. Acts of penance does nothing to earn forgiveness because Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago and that act earned all forgiveness. And if we want forgiveness, all we have to do is turn to Jesus and accept that gift. We don't work for it. Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 13 to 14, he said, For Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. God has rescued us, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption through Jesus. We don't have redemption through confession and penance. John writes in John 1, 12 to 13, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Salvation, forgiveness is through Christ, not through what we have done. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
Confession does not, it cannot bring favor with God. Confession does not, it cannot bring, earn forgiveness. So if those are the case, why in the world do we confess? If it does nothing for us spiritually, if it does nothing to bring us closer to God, why in the world would we go through all that pain? Because confession is agreeing with God. Confession is living in the truth. And truth sets us free from chains. When we speak the truth about ourselves and speak the truth about God, the chains that bind us to sin and addiction splinter apart. One person wrote this. Each confession of a sin is a profession of faith in Christ in agreement with God about who he is, what he has done, and who you are because of him. Jesus came to save you from sin. His perfect sacrifice paid the penalty for all of your sins. If by faith you have accepted Christ's payment as enough to cover your sins, God has completely forgiven you and adopted you as his child. It is because of God's kindness that you are forgiven, accepted, and set apart for his purpose. Your sins do not define you but rather they remind you of God's greatness, his goodness, mercy, and grace through Jesus. With confidence and gratitude, you can approach God knowing that through Jesus, our advocate, we can receive mercy and grace for your sins. The author of Hebrews write this in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Through confession, we approach God's throne of grace and find help in our time of need. Through confession, we are healed. By speaking the truth, by agreeing with God, our sin is not in the dark anymore. It's not in the closet. So it doesn't have any power over us. In the darkness, it has power. In light, it has nothing. James writes this in James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. John refers to this process as walking in the light in our text in John 1.7. He says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We walk in the light and we are healed. When we walk in the light, we don't allow anything to hidden. There's no darkness festering. Yes, no one wants to admit what they are actually like. We talked about that last week. We all like to wear this mask and give everyone the good side. We don't want anyone to see the bad side, and it's painful to, show, to take that mask off and show the bad side. We don't want to tell people what we actually do. We don't want to tell people what we actually struggle with. No one wants to stand up and say, you know what, my marriage is broken. Every time I talk with my husband or wife, we fight all the time. No one wants to say that. No one wants to admit their addictions that they struggle with. They don't want to admit their lies and hypocrisy. They don't want to stand up and talk about their lustful thoughts and their laziness or their pride. They don't want to do that. But until we admit it and say, this is who I am, this is what I struggle with, this is, this is my pet sin that are tangled up in me, as the author of Hebrews writes about it in Hebrews chapter 12. When we admit it, we're talking the truth. We're in the light. But until we admit it. We are living a lie. We're living a lie. John writes it in our text. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not within us. Until we confess, we are living a claim that we are without sin. Verse 10 says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Until we confess, we are claiming we have no sin. By our actions, and we're making God out to be a liar. Confession brings things to light. Confession, pre- confession prevents deceit. It prevents deception. Confession, the act of it, reminds us of God's amazing grace and allows us to remember who we really are in him. Because when we're living in sin, in the darkness, and saying, oh, I can't bring this to light, we think that sin defines us. But the minute we step into the light and say, this is who I am, this is what I struggle with, we're reminded that, wait a minute, 
That doesn't define me. Jesus defines me because he died and paid the penalty for this sin. It's amazing, confession is. Sometimes the acronym of HEAL is, is useful with confession, the acronym of HEAL. H for HEAL, it stands for honestly confess. Through the act of confession, we admit the truth about the harm, the hurt, the grief, the sin, the heart defects, the whole gamut. We open it out. That's what we talked about last week, moral inventory. E is examine the sinful nature. We acknowledge the things we sought for comfort, pleasure, protection, escape, provision. We admit the things our sinful nature protects or values most. So confession is saying, hey, this is what I struggle with. The E says, this is why. This is why I'm doing it. The underside, the underbelly of it. A is accept Christ's offering. We agree that Christ suffered to recapture our hearts. He offers us healing and his sacrifice was enough to satisfy God in us. We accept Christ's rescue of our lives and embrace his righteousness in place of our sins. And then L is leave it with Christ. We release our pride and our idols and our sin to God to be buried with Christ because that's what it is. We ask God to meet all our needs because he's promised to do it. We ask for his desires to become our desires and we agree with God that we are his children and that he deserves our love and we ask him to heal our hearts completely. This is the process of confession, saying, yes, this is who I am, this is what I've done, but we end up looking at God and his amazing grace because true confession doesn't beat us down, it lifts us up to him. After the process of confession, as we reflect on God's amazing grace, we can rejoice with a clean heart. Listen to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 32. Psalm 32, David writes this after he has gone through the process of repenting of his sin with Bathsheba. In Psalm 32, he writes in verses 1 to 6, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. And then verse 10 to 11. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all who are upright in heart. There's an amazing thing when we come to God and say, yes, I agree with how you say this is. I agree that this is who I am. I agree about the sinfulness and horribleness of my sin. Save me. And when, he, when we do that, he cleanses our heart. He lifts us up and gives us such rejoicing because we remember his amazing grace through this process. Confession. Confession. Who do we confess to? Well, we confess to ourselves. We must acknowledge, we must look in the mirror and say, this is who I am, this is who I really am. Before we can change, we have to admit our sinfulness. The old church father by the name of Ignatius, you know he's old because he's got only one name, said, it is impossible for a man to be freed from the habit of sin before he hates it. If we love our sin, we're not going to change. Confession says, God, I realize this is bad, and I hate it just like you hate it. We must hate our sin. We must loathe it, despise it, in order to admit the atrocity of our heart. But we don't want to. For lots of different reasons, we don't want to admit the atrocity of our sin. We don't want to feel the guilt and the shame. Because when we come down and we actually look at ourselves for who we are, there is a huge amount of guilt and shame that weighs us down. And we don't want to feel that. But it is good to grieve our sin. God grieves our sin. He grieves the result of our sin as this world is filled with brokenness because of the sin that's there. He grieves the result of the sin as his son died on the cross for that sin. So when sin comes to light, God calls us to mourn our rebellion, but not just stay mourning, to turn to him for restoration. Because he's standing there saying, just turn to me. 
Mourn it and turn to me. Sometimes, though, as many people point out, when we, when we look at our sin and we mourn the sin, we're not actually mourning the sin. We're mourning the exposure of our sin because we don't want to be found out. And therefore, we say, oh, I'm sorry because I'm sorry that it was found out. It's like the kid who's taught to apologize. And you know, it's the easy way, I do it, the easy way to teach your kid to apologize to tell them, hey, tell your, tell your sibling sorry. And they're like, I'm sorry. Now tell them you forgive them. I forgive you. And yeah, that, that kid is feeling an emotion. He is sorry, but he's not necessarily sorry that he sinned. He's sorry that it was found out and he has to do something about it. And that's so much of us. We're sorry that our sin is found out, but we're not actually sorry we sinned. Tertullian, another old guy, said this, some people flee from confession as being an exposure of themselves, or they put it off from day to day. I presume they're more mindful of modesty than of salvation, like those who contract a disease in the more shameful parts of the body and shun making themselves known to the physicians, and thus they perish along with their own bashfulness. So much of us spiritually is like that. We don't want to show our bad things and therefore we perish along with them. John writes this in the verse we have repeated multiple times today. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When we look at our sin, we don't have to be ashamed about our need for God's grace. We need to be ashamed about the sin and grieve over it, and hate it. But we don't have to be ashamed about our need for God's grace. And when we confess, we're not declaring how we are shameful because of our sin. We are declaring that we are someone who is in need of God's grace. We hate our sin, and we need God's grace, and we receive it through Christ as our path to peace. We confess to ourselves. That's who we confess to. Who else do we confess to? Well, we confess to God. As I said, we don't have to do anything to earn forgiveness from God. That is already accomplished through the death of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Everything has been covered. Our sins were on his shoulders. Forgiveness is found by merely trusting in him, not through the act of confession, not through the act of penance. It is only through trusting in him. So when we confess to God... We're not earning favor with him. When we confess to God, we're not drawing closer to him in relationship because we're as close as we'd ever be because of Jesus. He did it all. We're there. Confession to God is an act of worship to him. John 1.10 says, If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. By not confessing, we are declaring a falsehood about God and we are declaring something, we're, we're, we're distorting his character. When we confess, we are telling the truth about God and therefore we are worshiping him. We're saying, God, I realize you're the holy God and I am not. God, I realize you did everything to save me and I, I am so grateful for that and I thank you that I don't have to do anything because I can't. And thank you that my sin is covered. All these statements are statements of worship declaring who God is and what he has done. Confession does nothing for us. It's a worship of him. David wrote Psalm 51 after confessing his sin of adultery to God. He says in Psalm 51 verses 10 to 17, he says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I'd bring it. You take no pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. David turns to God in confession, and through that, it brings these shouts of praise and worship as he continues to care who God is and what he does. That's what confession is. When we turn our hearts to God in confession, he takes our broken hearts and he heals them. 
He puts the only balm that can restore an aching heart, his very presence, his very self, and he brings that peace. The prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 42, 3, a bruised reed God will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. When, God, when we come to God in brokenness, he doesn't stamp on us. He doesn't cut us off. He heals us. He lifts us up. We confess to God. Who else do we confess to? I've been delaying it all this time. We confess to others. John writes this in John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Very popular verse. Kids learn this verse in Sunday school. They memorize it. They repeat it. It brings a lot of people comfort. It's easy to read this verse and say, you know what? I've confessed my sin to myself. I've confessed my sin to God. I'm covered. I'm good. I've done what this verse says. Eh. Actually, the grammatical construction of this verse, when compared to other places in Scripture, the words that are used here are only used for confessing to fellow believers. Another word is used, another grammatical construction is used for confessing to God. So when John writes this, he's not saying, if you confess your sins to God, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He is saying if we confess our sins to each other, that is what happens. Confession is not true confession if our sin remains in the closet just between us and God. It's not true confession because we are still living as a hypocrite with all the rest of the world. They look at us and see us as someone who does not struggle with this sin when in fact we do and we are living then as a hypocrite. James writes this, we read it earlier in James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We are called to open up the door of that closet that we have nailed, screwed, glued, shut, and drywalled over. We are called to take a pry bar, a sledgehammer, a bomb, whatever you want to do, and tear that door off, pour the light in, so that our brothers and sisters in Christ can see. And when we do that, in the body of Christ, we are healed from that sin. The chains of addiction are shattered. Who are we to confess to? The early church actually had a time within their services that people would pop up and say, this is the sin I've struggled this week. I need you to pray for me. I need your help. They would have that time to do it. Boy, this church would completely like no one would come if we did that. It's true. I probably wouldn't come either. Uh, we, we have become more public in our church services. In that time that they did it, it was actually a time they had, they had two parts of their church service. They had the church service that anyone could come to. And then they had a little break and they came back and they took communion together as only believers that were allowed there. And it was during that time that they had that confession. So it was a protected spot where people you knew were followers of Jesus Christ and were there who had covenanted with you to push you to know Jesus better. And they would, they would take that confession in confidence as it was supposed to be. Our services aren't that way anymore. People come who are not followers of Jesus Christ and they stay the entire time and they enjoy the service and that's great because people get to see the whole, whole counsel of God to the service. But it doesn't make sense for us to have a time where people pop up and say, this is a sin I struggle with because it's not the safety anymore. Plus, we stream on Facebook and YouTube, and who wants to have their sin plastered all over the internet? Pretty soon, CNN will be like, there's this Calvary Bible church who, uh, and this person has a sin, and no, that's not going to happen. Who do we confess to? The biblical principle is, as we see in the local church as well, the, the, the early church, is that we are to open up to a few trusted friends. 
people who will not condemn us because of our sin. They won't say, oh, you're going to hell. No. People who will say, yes, I understand you struggle with that sin. This is sin I struggle with. And I'm going to hold you accountable that from the moment of confession now, you will start working on living a holy life just as you hold me accountable. Who will tell us the truth about ourselves. That yes, we are a sinner, but God is a gracious God and that sin has been paid for. We don't have to live in guilt over it. There's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid it all. And then we can tell them everything we discovered about the fearless moral inventory of why this sin is the way we sin. And they can walk us through about why do you struggle with this sin? What is the reason behind it? What are you going to this sin instead of God for? And it push, we need that person, those people who walk us through that, not in condemnation, but in helping us to seek holiness. And then they vow to walk with us on the journey of freedom. Those few trusted friends, everyone needs a few trusted friends they could turn to. And the local church is a great place to find those. And if we can't find a few trusted friends in a local church, something is wrong. We need to be that transparent community that we talked about at the end of last year. That initial moment of bringing sin to light, that is freaky scary. It is. I've been there. I've had to confess to some people some sins I'm not ashamed of. Wrong way to say it. That I'm very ashamed of. <laughs> that did not come out right. I'm very ashamed of. And it's scary. But the moment we do that, when we get up the guts to say, God, I know you're calling me to do that, and we crack open that closet door and allow those people to peek inside at those ugly skeletons, there's freedom in your life. And you and the chains loosen because when sin is brought into light, no matter what the sin, no matter how it is, it loses its power and those chains start to break. The more we talk about the sin we struggle with and the more friends we tell about it, the more those chains break and the more we have strength to turn away from that sin. It's one thing to say, you know what, I only, if, I, if I stumble in this way in this sin, I only have to tell that person. But to say, you know what, I stumble in this sin and I got to tell these 10 other people and they're all going to grill me about it. it. There's strength that comes. But there's also strength that comes because I realize every time I confess, people tell me, this sin does not define me. This sin does not define me. Jesus does. And pretty soon I start believing it. And so when the temptation comes to sin in this way, whatever it is, I can look at it and say, you don't define me. Jesus does. And I know that because I've got these 10 other trusted friends who are standing behind me and who've reminded me of that fact over and over and over and over again. We are called to be people who confess. We have to make an honest admission to ourselves, to God and to each other, who we are. And as we confess, we get to remember God's amazing grace that we don't have to atone for our sins. He did it. He did everything. And when we realize that, we truly realize that through this confession, oh, the freedom that he brings as we live in grace. Today, we get to celebrate that freedom that Jesus brings, that we are not defined by our sins, but by him, that we don't have to do anything to atone for our sins because he did everything. We do this once a month, and just so happens we did it two weeks ago, and we get to do it again now. The early church did it every week. We might get there. We'll see. But right now we do it once a month as we remember in a physical way what Jesus did. Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves." couple things to note. First off, we do not believe there is anything special or significant about the juice and the crackers. 
They're just juice and they're just crackers. They do not turn the body and blood of Jesus Christ. They're just juice and they're just crackers. We don't believe that these things do anything spiritually for us. When we eat them and drink them, we are not eating and drinking a method of our salvation or a method of receiving God's grace. It's just crackers and juice. That's all it is. But we do believe there's something special in the remembrance of Jesus. Jesus gave us something physical because he realized he knows us as humans, that until we do something, lots of times we'll forget it. And we need to do something in order to remember. And so we eat the cracker and we bite down it and we feel it break and we reflect that Jesus' body was broken for us. We drink the juice and we feel the bitterness and we remember that Jesus' body was poured out for us. It's a remembrance that we do. This remembrance that we do is given, is allowed for anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We practice what's known as open communion, which means if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've come to the point in your life where you yourself made a decision to trust Jesus as your Savior, to turn from your sins and your works, all things, and say, Jesus, you are my only hope. Save me. If you have done that, we invite you to take communion with us because these are the gifts of God for the people of God. If you have never had that time in your life where you made a decision to trust Jesus alone for your salvation, but you've still trust, you're still trusting in your works, your prayers, your church attendance, the fact that your family is a Christian family or whatnot, I ask that you allow the communion plate to go by because these are the gifts of God for the people of God. I don't say this as a judgment to you. We're not going to look at you, condemn you. I'm doing it because I don't want you to be a hypocrite. I don't want you to say one thing with your action and actually be something else. If today you want to place your faith in Jesus Christ, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner and that you came to earth to die for me and you paid the penalty for my sin and I trust you alone to save me. Please do that. If you do that today, you're saved. And communion can be your first act as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you've done that, please let one of us know so we can rejoice with you, pray with you, and tell you more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We'd love to have that conversation. But don't take communion unless you have made a decision for yourself to trust Jesus as your Savior. When we take communion, we pass the bread first and we each take a piece and we all hold it and we tell, wait till everyone's served and then we eat it together. Then we pass the grape juice and we all take a cup and we all hold it and wait till everyone's served and we drink it together. We do it for a reason. We want to be unified and that eating and drinking together symbolizes the unity that Jesus wants in us. Jesus prayed in John 17, he prayed to the Father and said, may those who believe in me be one even as you and I are one. As a local body of Christ, we are called to seek unity, oneness in our midst. And if there's anything between a brother and sister, we're called to make it right, to not have any boundaries or barriers in between us and seek reconciliation. And we're eating and drinking that promise, saying we want to do this for the sake of the kingdom and the witness of his salvation. It's one reason why we take some time to pray before taking communion. We thank God for his amazing gift. We go through a process of confession, worshiping him, declaring, saying the same thing about our sin that he says, and remembering his grace. And then we ask him, is there anything between me and a fellow believer? And if he reveals it, we make a promise that we will make it right this week, and we eat and drink that promise. As I say every month, I'm grateful for God's grace because if all of us were honest, none of us would be able to take communion because we're sinful people who love our own ways instead of his ways. And we like our own pride instead of living in unity. But he promises us to walk with us and when we turn to the right, he pushes us back. When we turn to the left, he pushes us back and he keeps dogging us to live holy lives and live lives of reconciliation and restoration. With that, will you pray with me?
Father, thank you that you are the one who loved us so much that you sent your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, thank you for proving your love for us. For no greater love can anyone show than by dying for his friends. Lord, thank you for taking us and redeeming us, cleansing us, justifying us, forgiving us, not because anything we have done, because we are not worthy, but because of everything that Jesus did 2,000 years ago on that cross. Thank you that we don't have to do anything to earn that because you did it all. All we have to do is rest and rejoice and glory in this amazing relationship we have with the creator of the universe. Lord, thank you for the love and joy and the peace that you give. And thank you that because of you, we can stand up and say that our sins do not define us. And we have the, can have the courage to live in truth and to say, this is who I am. And by the grace of God, this is who I will not be. Thank you for giving us, brothers and sisters in Christ, who will walk with us through this life and push us towards holiness for the sake of your witness. Lord, thank you for designing us to be a church that is unified and for taking us and the factions that were and creating us into this beautiful mosaic, a picture of your amazing changing power. Lord, continue to bring us as your people to be one for your honor and your glory and so that the world might see the truth of your salvation. We love you so much, Father. Amen. If I could ask Jean and, uh, Dean and Tim to come on up. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The plastic cups have gluten-free wafers. body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was broken that we might stand redeemed celebrating let us eat it together in the same way after supper Jesus took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me
the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that was spilt that our sins might not define us anymore, but he would. Celebrating, let us drink it together. If you could hold your, onto your cups and throw them away on the way out, and then David will lead us in the last song.